0: This morning I'm continuing on a very important series on breaking the orphan spirit, breaking that orphan spirit and coming into sonship. I've been on this series for several weeks because the Lord, first of all, has led me to speak on this because the Lord wants us to know that we are part of a very incredible family. When you know who you are and where you come from and you know the inheritance. That you have in Christ, you are going to begin to look at life in a completely different lens. When you know who your father is, when you know who your home is, where home is, when you know that eternal, incorruptible seed that lives and abides in you, you actually face problems differently. You look at your marriage differently, you look at your kids differently, you look at problems differently. You see, the purpose of the gospel was to bring about change. Everyone say change. God intended for you to be metamorphosed, to be transformed into his glory. He intended for you to experience glory, just like Dorena shared this morning. Here was a woman living in darkness years ago, even though she had a religious experience. She never really understood what it was to come into the kingdom. Today we have churches that are filled by massive thousands of people. They have come to church. They've identified with a religion or a religious experience, but they have failed to fully understand what it means to become a follower of Jesus. You see, when you follow Jesus, you begin to come into a new journey, a new experience. If you have never changed, if you are the same guy you were a year ago, same gal you were a year ago, if you are not moving from glory to glory, then somewhere you've stagnated. You see, you are in one of three positions. You're stagnating, you're going backwards, or you're moving forward. All of us are in one of those three positions. We're going backwards, we're standing still, or we're moving forward. New Life Fellowship is a church that is moving forward. We're going to move forward. And moving forward, by the way, is not always predictable. Moving forward means that God's going to take us in some areas that it's going to begin to shake us and rattle us at times. He's going to begin to break off some old things and old ways of thinking, and He's going to begin to break some bondage. He's going to begin to expose some areas in our life that hinders you from coming into the fullness of all that God has for you. You see, God's intent is to conform you to His image. He wants you to be just like Him. And what was He like? He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He brought life to where there was death. Jesus went into situations. In fact, Jesus not only brought life and brought power and raised the dead, He even at times created a riot are you ready to create a riot Uh Oh. well I'm not suggesting that God's out to try to create a riot but I do want you to know that anytime that you are moving in him you are going to make religious people unhappy religious people are people that like things predictable they like things just to stay the way they are don't stretch me don't challenge me don't help me to grow scratch my itch Help me to just be comfortable. I'm looking for a seeker-sensitive, user-friendly church that makes me feel happy and comfortable in my lethargic, apathetic state. This is not that church. We're a church that helps birth kingdom life in your life. Amen? You see, God wants to birth something in you where you begin to see yourself as a man and a woman who are history makers. You are a, your children are history makers. You are imparting vision. You are imparting dreams. You are imparting a prophetic word. Jesus said in in Acts chapter 2, he said that to to his disciples, he says, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. Until you be endued with power. Amen? Jump with me into Romans chapter 1. First of all, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I want to show you something. Notice what it says in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to move really quickly here. It says, verse 3, Concerning His Son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power. Everyone say, with power. Jesus wasn't just declared to be the son of God but he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead how many of you know that the sons of God need power today you need power to make your marriage work you need power to raise your children you need power to cast out unclean spirits you need power to understand and have discernment we need more than natural wisdom we need more than just education we need the spirit of wisdom and the word of knowledge from god paul jesus said to the disciples that when the spirit of god will descend upon you after the holy ghost has come upon you you shall be filled with power and then peter said that as it was spoken of by the prophet joel that i will pour out my spirit upon the last days and it says your sons and your daughters will prophesy that means this kids this means that you're going to go to school and there's going to be a prophetic mark upon you you're going to begin to move in a word of knowledge you're going to move in a word of wisdom god's going to give you eyesight insight with foresight, like he did with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even though they were in the courts of Nebuchadnezzar, a Babylonian system. And by the way, folks, America is a very much a Babylonian system. But God is raising Daniels and Shadrachs and Meshachs and Abednegos who God is going to place the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding. And the Bible says that God gave them ten times more wisdom than all of the ones that were in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. You see, God is here to bring a divine impartation. You are here this morning to receive an impartation. And you are to become sons with power. You have power this morning. Now, it's not enough to just agree with God on this thing. I've got to begin to walk in this thing. I've got to wake up in the morning and begin to believe that I have the power working in me to an effect the change in the things and the people and the circumstances I come into, this is really a very vital important thing. But in, a for, in order for that to happen, I've got to come to understand and receive a new reality. How many of you know that the Lord wants to bring heaven's reality on earth here today? He wants to bring and reinvite. He wants to bring a, a rebirthing to a new norm. He wants the supernatural. He wants you to begin to experience a new norm in your mind, in in your family, in your choices and relationship. Jump with me to John's Gospel, chapter 8 this morning. I want to deal with what Jesus did. Jesus, when he was on earth, introduced the kingdom. But in this message of the kingdom, he brought about the relationship that he had with the Father. The key... To walking in the power is relationship. I need relationship. A lot of people that they seek the power, but they don't have a relationship. They don't know who they are. And so there needs to be a paradigm shift. Notice what Jesus is saying in verse 34, John 8, 34. Jesus said, Most assuredly I say unto you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides house. Forever, Jesus is making a comparison, a contrast. He says slaves don't abide in the house. Another uh, another, uh, uh, interpretation here is orphan, an orphan spirit. The orphan spirit or a slave mentality. They don't abide in the house and here's the reason. Because they do not feel they belong. When you have a slave's mindset, you are uncomfortable with relationship you see jesus here is talking about the house everyone say the house because god is building a house it's called the house of god it's not a building it's not an address the house of god has to do with a community of people who have come into a covenant relationship with their heavenly father they know who they are where they're going They know the message they're preaching. They know the power they possess. They understand the boundaries, the limitations. They know exactly what they're doing and where they're going. That's the kind of people God's raising up. You are not the kind of people that lack confidence. You are a people who have boldness. You have understanding. You are to come into a situation. You have the word of knowledge. You have the word of wisdom. You are prophetic, not pathetic. You are a prophetic people. And I've got to come to embrace this. Now Jesus here begins to talk about these contrasts and comparisons. Notice verse 36. He says, therefore, if the Son will make you free, you shall be free indeed. Just like Dorina this morning. How many of you, how many of you believe Dorina is free this morning? She's free from the dependency of medications because she was under bulimia for all those years. She's free from cigarettes, free from alcoholism. We're not condescending, putting anybody down because of that kind of bondage. But here's what she come to realize. She realized that her body had been atoned and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And her body... Now is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Spirit abides in her. And when the Lord began to speak to her the very day after we prayed, the Lord began to say, From now on, you will not need this medication. I will be all you need. And she trusted in the Lord, and she didn't go through one piece of withdrawal. God just completely delivered it and healed her. Is that right, Doreen? I mean, say amen with you amen this is my witness you see God wants to do that with all of us he's a delivering God you know what's so amazing to me because there's a lot of pastors and preachers today that are not preaching this kind of a message they're preaching the kingdom message as a someday message someday in the sweet old by and by when we meet on that beautiful shore folks that's not the message this church preaches Jesus said, we've come into the kingdom now. Now is the time. The kingdom of, of heaven is at hand now. We're to embrace it now. But there are many pastors. There's many people. By the way, if you're not coming into the kingdom now, and all you're preaching is a rapture theology, then guess what you're doing? You're, not, you're doing nothing but babysitting and bringing in the melody 4 quartet and entertaining the people. That's what a lot of church... We're going to have another quartet here come and sing for us this morning. We're just going to have a, have a little shout. Hallelujah time. Now, I'm not interested in another melody for a quartet or another quartet. And by the way, I'm not against quartets and musicians and all that. But so much of church has become entertaining rather than equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. We're here to equip you. Why? What, what, what are you talking about, Pastor? How many of you know that what's going on in our world right now is really setting you up for a harvest? You see, right in our society right now, in the political field, in our economic arrangement, all these things that are happening around us right now are setting you up for a major harvest. I want to I say something. Uh, boy, the Holy Spirit just speaking to me right now. There is huge distractions against the church right now. Do you know that the center of community in our cities, the, the most central, most important thing in community today is what happens at school. Today, parents, I, I couldn't believe, yesterday my wife and I, we went over to our athletic club and we were over there and, and they're having a big swimming. They had five schools coming together for a meet. I'm not against schools. I'm not against sports. I'm not against all the other academic things that are going on, but but what I want to bring to your attention, church, I I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not putting those things down. I'm not against sports. Let me say that again. I'm not against things at school, but I want you to know that schools today got your kids coming before school and after school, and they've got them working on concession stands and On on all of these different things, our kids are so loaded down. Their time schedules are so filled at school. I know a kid, even right now, they get up and they have to be at school. At 6.30, they don't come home till 8 o'clock at night because of extracurricular activity. And I confronted this parent one time. And I said... Where is the gospel, and where are the purposes of God being established in this child's life? Well, they got schoolwork, and they got this, and they got that, and they got this. And I'm asking you, what good is that going to bring as far as eternal value in the life of that child? Let me tell you, folks. Do you know what schools are after? The uh, especially the administrative aspects, they're after money it's the sports when it all comes down to all the what the schools are doing it's all about money in the kitty it's all about getting money in, in what they got your kids doing as before school after school practicing and playing and doing this and again i'm not trying to put that down but there comes a point where you as a parent need to say enough is enough Me and my house, we're going to serve God and we're going to equip our children for the things of the kingdom. We are on the brink of a harvest and we need to get our priorities in line and get it back into the house of God. I remember years ago when my son David was a pitcher. He was a left-handed pitcher on a baseball team and his coach said, "Uh, Mr. Galligan, I need your son. He needs to come on Wednesday nights because I need him to practice. And I said, he will not play on Wednesday nights. He's going to be in the house of the Lord being taught the Word of God. And he says, well, then he won't won't get a pitch then on our team. And I said, that's okay with me. Thank you. I want to tell you something. There comes a point where you as parents need to draw a line. You may think, oh, Pastor Ray, I'm feeling guilty. Well, I'm not trying to make... I want you to understand there's a war for your priorities today there's a battle for your time when you stand before the judgment seat of christ and we stand before the lord someday and we say what did you do with the time and the talents and the gifts and the money and all the things i gave well lord i, I was taking my kids to football practice because i thought that football i mean it, it, it makes a man out of them doesn't it god no that doesn't make a man out of them that might put a plaque on their wall, give them a little ribbon, give them a trophy. They could sit on the shelf. That's all it does. That does not. That does not produce the kingdom values that are going to really make a difference in the lives of others as well as their own lives. You see, there is a battle for control of your time. Oh, and if you don't think so, I'm going to tell you right now. Oh, I, I may ask somebody to leave the church on this one, John. But praise God. Won't be the last. I'm here to tell you. I want you to understand there's a war going on. I don't think there's anything more gratifying than helping your children walk in the power of the supernatural and see them bring deliverance. I was over in Redding, California a year ago, and, and, and Bill Johnson and some of their team over there, they are now teaching second, third, fourth graders To Walk in the Power of the Supernatural. In Redding, California, kindergartners are going to school and praying for their teachers and they're getting healed. They're teaching their children the importance of the kingdom message. Kids are doing this. It's not just just for the ministers. It's not just for adults. Our kids need to be operating in this. It's called sonship. We're moving in sonship. Here Jesus says here, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Verse 37, I know that you're... Now notice Jesus here is speaking to the Pharisees, and he says this, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. This, by the way, is the first time Jesus ever mentions another father. Another father. He's always talked about his father, but now as he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, you speak from your father, the devil. Jesus here actually calls Satan a father, and he's actually calling Satan the father of their religious movement. Verse 39, they answered and said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, "If, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I've heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and come from God and I have come, I have nor have I come from myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. Or he's a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words, therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. Now, in this passage, Jesus is making some contrasts. He contrasts the difference between a slave and and a son between sin and freedom he contrasts two types of fathers he contrasts these two types he brings these comparisons for a very important reason so that these pharisees by the way it may not sound like it but do you know that jesus really did love the pharisees i know he you you might think well man he sure rebuked them a lot Uh, 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 was strong with him. Uh, But remember, the Bible says in Hebrews, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He actually did love the Pharisees. He cared about them. He did not want them to die in their sin. And you know, when, when someone speaks into your life, don't see it as a threat. Someone who loves you will speak truth to you because they care about you. They really care about you. But here we find that Jesus is addressing the hardness of their heart. And the one thing he says that we find here, he says that your father is the father of the devil. He says, for you seek to kill me. Let me tell you something about an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit always kills intimacy, always seeks to restrict, restrain, or resist, sabotages, undermines relationship. It's not that they're just trying to kill Jesus. They're trying to kill anything that Jesus has to say. He, in other words, the spirit of slavery always distance themselves from anything that involves intimacy. When Jesus was saying, you seek to kill me, what the Holy Spirit's trying to say here is that once you become a son, you want to abide in the house. Once you become a son, you invite relationship. There's an invitation, there's a desire for closeness. We at New Life Fellowship, we want intimacy with you. We want closeness with you. We want accountability. We want relationship. We want to be an open book with you. We believe that we are to be people of the light. We don't walk in darkness or in shadows. We believe that our lives need to be in the light. That means that there's nothing hiding because we live in the love and the grace of God. That's an important thing. You want to be in a church where there's light, don't you? How many of you want to be in a church? Well, there's a lot of people that want to be in a church where there's darkness. I like the church where there's shadows. No, don't bring too much to light. Just give me shadows. Give me, it's amazing how sometimes there may be those attracted to the dark. And notice what it says if you were of the Lord, you would hear my words and you would not try to kill me. You see, the spirit of slavery, the spirit of a slave, the spirit of an orphan spirit always questions and doubts the love of the Father. It always has a problem with the Father image. Now, what is an orphan? An orphan is a person. By the way, you can have an orphan mentality even though you could even be born again you could even be born again and still have an orphan mentality an orphan is a person who does not have a father or a mother or does not relate to a father or a mother they have a difficult time communicating difficult time with being open communicating building a bridge seeking restoration reconciliation an orphan spirit often lives in a bubble of fear, often in fear. And so what happens, they will gravitate, and by the way, people of the same feather usually flock together. And when they flock together, they begin to feed off each other's wounds. And they feed off each other's problems. And, oh man, were you beat up and were you treated like like that? Yes, I was. Oh, look at my wounds. And we love to show our wounds as battle scars. But sons rise above that. We don't sit there and lick our wounds we come up to that place of what jesus has accomplished in the cross and that's coming into that place of wholeness and healing now i want to i want to just move really quickly on some things because i think we need to recognize there are five things i want to share with you right off the bat that needs to happen in order for us to break that orphan spirit the first thing that we need to do is dismantle The dismantling of the system or structure of lies that have been built into our mind and spirit over a period of years. An orphan spirit has a structure of thinking. That structure of thinking or lies were built, it could have come from your natural family. You could have been treated horribly when you were a child. Your parents didn't love you, maybe they didn't affirm, show affection to you, and you begin to not trust. But see, in order for you to become a a son, we must dismantle that structure of lies in our our mind. How many of you know you can't be changed until you're willing to change the way you think? It starts with the way I think. I have to dismantle. There's a system. There's a structure of lies. that's, That's why people don't come in to the fullness of what God has. I remember talking to one guy one time. He says, Pastor, I just have a hard time trusting anybody. And I said, where did that come from? He says, part of it was is because the people I used to look up to when I was a child, all they ever did was lie to me. They never kept their promises. My father never told me the truth. In fact, he tried to convince me to lie with him and for him. I do not trust anybody. I said, we need to dismantle that structure and system of lies. And the only way that can happen is when you have been exposed so the revelation of who Jesus really is and it's his love but that dismantling is the first thing secondly we need to learn to release control of doing it my way everyone say release control if you're going to break the bondage of the orphan spirit you must release control to the reality and learn how to listen to the father and believe what he says control is a big nasty problem with people, with an orphan spirit. Have you ever dealt with a stubborn person, a person with an orphan spirit, a person who has a problem with authority? The issue is about control, but behind that issue of control is fear. We've got to break that thing. Number three, we've got to also respond to authority as a positive step in life. Let me tell you, if you don't come to trust God is a positive step, you'll never change. You'll never experience the goodness of God. I've got to respond to authority, His authority, as a positive step. I've got to see it as a positive move in my life. You cannot remain isolated. The Bible says, Proverbs 26, verse 1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. You see, a man who isolates, he does what he wants to do because it's all about him. An orphan spirit, often. The fourth thing is that we may, we need to be able to receive good things and positive affirmation from our Heavenly Father, as well as from those around us. I need to be able to receive good things. I need to be able to identify them, and I need to be able to call them out. It's really important. You know, I, we, had a, we had a young man living with us. Uh, my wife and I brought in. Actually, we've had several young men. But I remember this one young man coming to our home. He lived with us for a while. Uh, he come out of a a broken home situation, and he was constantly negative. Well, in our house, we don't allow negative speech like that. And I I sat him down. I said, I know you've come out of a, a kind of a rugged past, a rough past, but in our house, we learn to see things through the lens of God's goodness because God is good, and God's goodness and God's love always overcomes evil. And I said, when you begin to live with the Gallagans, we want you... Now, by the way, we've, we've had our share of troubles, by the way. We're not a perfect family either. But one of the things that we've had to learn to do is we've had to learn to exercise our faith. We've had to learn to take a hold of God's promises and stand on them. And guess what happened? It began to change the atmosphere in the home. We had to make some agreements with God. We had to dismantle wrong thinking. We had to get rid of... We will not allow bad attitudes in our house. Good preaching, Patsy Ray. I've got to say amen to myself here. If you allow bad attitudes, let me tell you, bad attitudes are contagious, and they will bring oppression. You got to kick it out. My wife and I, when we were in our country, we would not let, you know what we used to make, David and Jared used to do, if they ever got a little scuffed, the worst thing, they, they said, that is worse than a spanking. What we used to make Jared and David do is we would make them hug each other. We would make, don't, no, don't, dad, don't make me up. Spank me instead. You know, because what that means is I have to make some choices. You see, I can, I can do all things. I can choose to love. I, I, I am so tired of hearing people. I can't. I can't. No, no. it's not that you can't. You don't want to. It's rebellion. Name it for what it is. It's rebellion. It's, it's not you can't. You don't want to. I mean, let, let's name it. See, that's part of the orphan spirit. The orphan spirit is, I don't need anybody. I did not need this. I don't need anybody. I did it myself, and I've done it this way for years, and I'm going to keep doing it. That's a dangerous place to be. dangerous place to be number five number five in this transition moving from being superficial and threatened most orphans most slaves that have that mentality they have a superficial they feel threatened to genuine and comfortable in close relationships they feel threatened by that and because of that we we need to move from superficial relationships into something that's genuine amen now, I, I want to take you through some things this morning that I, I think is really important. And it's learning to understand the characteristics, an orphan or a son. And I want to just take you some and through uh, what some of the characteristics are as we identify these things. Because first of all, we need to know, you know, it's possible for you to know or not know that you actually have a problem in this area. I didn't know, even though I was raised in a Christian home, raised what I felt was a good church, I didn't know, not actually even up until just about five, six years ago, that I had problems with an orphan mentality. Even though I'm a Christian, even a pastor, I still had earmarks in some issues that I was not aware of until the Holy Spirit gently and carefully began to reveal His purposes. And you know what, folks? It's a good thing that God begins to show you things about yourself so you can begin to receive the grace of God so you can change. Amen? God does not reveal things to condemn you or to harm you. He reveals things to you so you will will be willing to release control to your heavenly Father. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter after the resurrection? Peter says, do you love me? three times. Do you love him? Peter, you know You know, I, I feel you. You know I love you as a friend. Peter had come to this point in his own walk where he, he had trusted, had confidence in himself but it was at the night that Jesus was betrayed and crucified that Peter had denied the Lord three times. Peter really didn't believe he would deny the Lord. But Jesus said, Peter before the night's over you will have denied me three times. And the sting of that thing was on Peter's mind even after the resurrection. He goes fishing. He really, in one sense, gives up on his call. Even though the Lord said, I've given you the keys, the king's gates of hell will not prevent All these things. But Peter had given up. But yet Jesus comes back, cooks the meal, asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? What Jesus was trying to do with Peter is say, Peter, even though you fail, even though you've come to see this ugly side of yourself, my grace is still sufficient and my love and my plans have never changed about what I planned for you. And I still want you, in fact, now, even though you've walked through this season of humility and humbling, actually, Peter, you're going to be far more effective in the kingdom because now you're not trusting in yourself, but you're learning to trust in God because you've recognized the weakness and the frailty of your own own strength. And so we find that we find that at times, even under the leading of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is going to point things out. By the way, folks, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be in a church, to be in a place where the Holy Spirit is revealing, but also healing. He reveals some things, but then he heals with His grace. We're not just revealing sin and weaknesses and leaving you there. No, He reveals things that he wants us to cooperate in, to work with him, but then he pours in his grace and he says, son, daughter, take my hand. Let me walk with you through this and let me change the things you can't change. Let me transform you by the power of my great grace and love for you. Isn't that an awesome God that we serve? We serve a great God, a good Father who loves us. But when it comes to some of these issues, For instance, the image of God. Orphans see God as a master who must appease continually. They feel they must pray more, read the Bible more, work harder to earn God's notice and favor. They're often left with a feeling that there's something more that must be done or put in order before God will ever be pleased with them. To an orphan, God is not just master, He's taskmaster. Sons, on the other hand, see God as a loving Father who accepts them unconditionally. They know the unconditional love is never based upon the performance of the one receiving it, but upon the nature of the one giving it. Therefore, they do not have to strive or act in any certain ways to earn the Father's love in Christ. He loves them anyway, fully, and completely, just as they are. When it comes to dependency, orphans are independent and self-reliant by nature. They depend upon their gifts, talents, intellect, and anointing. They are convinced that they cannot trust anyone else. If they want to get anything done or do it right, they've got to do it for themselves. If anything is going to get done right around here, I'll just have to do it. Sons, on the other hand, are interdependent. They know they need the community of love that God and the body of Christ offers this interdependency allows them to be open for the Father's love to flow through them to others. Sons also know that they are completely dependent on their Heavenly Father just as Jesus was in John 5, 19, where he said that the Son can do nothing of himself unless he sees the Father doing it. For whatever the Father does these things the Son does also in like manner. When it comes to theology, orphans live By the love of law. Like Pharisees in Jesus' day, orphans try to relate to God on the basis of adherence to laws. Principles, rules, and regulations. Orphans actually value obedience more than relationship. Sons, however, live by the law of love. They value truth, knowing that the greatest truth of all is living to receive the Father's love and giving it away To the next person they meet, sons understand the biblical truth that love is the fulfillment of the law. When it comes to security, orphans are insecure by nature, but usually become quite adept in covering their insecurity. They often strive to act right, do enough to please God to earn His blessings. Therefore, they rarely, rarely experience the inward peace and rest that Jesus tries to give them. Life for an orphan is often filled with uncertainty. of trusting abandonment and intimacy however sons in contrast are at peace and at rest in the father's embrace they know their security is in god does not depend on their behavior but is based on the grace of god and on the saving work that jesus christ did for them on the cross the need for approval the need for approval by the way is universal how many of you know we all need to be approved We all desire acceptance. Orphans, however, are addicted to and strive for the praise and the approval and the acceptance of man. But these counterfeit affections will not satisfy but instead lead to the fear of failure and rejection which pulls an orphan's heart farther away from God. Sons are not influenced by this turmoil and fear because they know that they are totally accepted in God's love justified by His grace. They do not have to strive for the approval of men because Christ has already given it to them. Motives for service. Orphans serve out of a sense of need for personal achievement as they seek to impress God and others. This often takes the form of hyper-religious activity. Some orphans then become so tired and cynical with the struggle that they eventually lose motivation for serving and they end up just giving up sons on the other hand joyfully serve out of a motivation driven by a deep sense of gratitude for god's unconditional love and acceptance orphans serve expecting this entitlement problem orphans serve expecting something in return where sons serve out of love and are giving oriented motivation for purity Orphans believe that they must be holy to be accepted by God. They must be completely pure in order to win his favor and avoid his judgment and wrath. The only way they know to achieve these areas is to work and strive for them. Therefore, they live they live with an increasing sense of guilt and shame over their continuing fail, failure to achieve perfect purity and holiness. Sons, however, want to be holy out of love for their father. It's natural for sons to take after their fathers because they just want to be like dad. Sons who are secure in their father's love don't want anything to hinder their intimate relationship. They don't want to grieve him. They just want to be in a resting place for God's love and his presence. His unconditional love is is a greater motivator for purity than fear and intimidation. When it comes to the issue of self-image, Orphans generally possess a low self-image, an attitude of self-rejection, which results from comparing themselves to others and feeling that they come out on the short end of the stick most of the time. Others seem to be more blessed. Others seem to be more loved. Others seem to get all the breaks. Sons, however, feel positive and affirmed because they know how valuable and precious they are to their father. No matter what they do or how many times they mess up, they know that Father loves them anyway. They pick themselves up. They keep on going because feeling secure in Father's love, they know they can do or be anything. When it comes to the source of comfort, because they have shut a portion, orphans because they've shut a portion of their heart off, from express love, orphans seek comfort in counterfeit affections, addictions, compulsions, escapism, busyness, hyper-religious activity, believing that the busier, the busier they are, the happier they will be, and the more worthy they are uh, of the Father's love. And because they have an independent spirit and depend on themselves, orphans usually find a false sense of comfort in their own good works sons however find true comfort in times of quietness solitude as they rest in the father's presence and love they've discovered that once having tasted of that place of rest everything that the world has to offer pales in comparison nothing compares with the comfort and joy of a of a son basking in the unconditional love of his father in other words a son always enjoys his father's presence When it comes to peer relationships, I know I'm moving quite rapidly, but I want to bring this out. When it comes to peer relationships, orphans often relate to their peers through competition, rivalry, jealousy towards others, success and position. They believe that they have to fight, scramble for every advantage and desire. Orphans cannot genuinely rejoice over the success or the advancement of others. They fear that if they are not on the top they will not be valued or respected for sons on the other hand peer relationships is all about humility and unity as they honor and value others and sincerely rejoice in the blessings and success of others sons are secure in their own identity and position and their need and there's no need for fear of success of the advancement of others because sons know who they are When it comes to handling other people's faults, conflicts are unavoidable in everyday part of whatever, whenever people interact. Therefore, effective conflict resolution is a vital part of healthy interpersonal relationships. But orphans, on one hand, being self-focused, generally resort to accusation and exposure of other people's faults. They like to bring out people's faults while denying or trying to hide their own. In an effort to make themselves look good, they attempt to make others look bad. They seek to build themselves up by tearing others down and destroying relationships with issues of control, criticalness, possessiveness, or even the lack of respect and honor. Sons, however, are relationship-oriented. In love they cover, not hide other faults, as they seek to restore those individuals in a spirit of love and gentleness. Covering a fault is different from covering up a fault. Covering protects a person from humiliating and destructive exposure until the conflict or fault can be resolved. Covering up fault is an effort to deceive, which is a sign of orphan thinking. When it comes to the view of authority, because of the abuse and mistreatment they have suffered at the hands of authority figures in their lives, orphans will see authority as a source of pain and are therefore suspicious of any authority in their life except their own. They're distrustful of the motives of those in authority, whether at home, work, at church, or anywhere else. This, is, this in due is at least in part of their lack of a heart attitude Of humility and submission. Orphans resent and fear suggestions that they should submit to anyone by getting underneath them and supporting them. They regard being subject to someone else's mission as nothing more than allowing themselves to be used by that person. Sons, however, look at authority differently, sons are respectful honoring legitimate of legitimate authority seeing authority figures as ministers of God for good in their lives another way of illustrating this contrast is to say that sons are teachable but orphans are not when it comes to the view of admonition this is my last one by the way I had 20 to go but I'll quit on this one here view of admonition orphans have a difficult time receiving admonition Even godly admonition because they have a difficult time acknowledging when they themselves are wrong. In their own minds they must always be right. So when admonition comes they receive it as a personal offense or rejection. Have you ever ever tried to help somebody out? You bring something up and they receive it as an attack. Instead you're really trying to help them. That's an orphan spirit. A son can receive admonition Orphan can't. To justify their conclusions, they focus on the faults of others, blaming others, trying to vindicate, justify themselves, become negative or accusatory. They close their spirits to the ones trying to speak admonition to their life. Sons, however, receive admonition as a blessing and a need in their lives because it exposes faults and weaknesses that they may not have been aware of. They seek to put these weaknesses to death before they become relationship-threatening problems. Even though admonition may first cause their fur to bristle, they recognize it as a valuable correction and an opportunity for growth. Without growth, there is no maturity, and without maturity, there is no inheritance. I want you to close last scripture, and I'm going to close. By the way, I'm going to give my next 10 next Sunday, but jump with me last... Scripture, Galatians chapter three. How do we move? How do we move into this place of sonship? I want to close with this passage, Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-six. Amen. How many of you know we have a we've got a good God who wants to heal us today? I want I want you to know, folks. We didn't bring these comparison contrasts out to step on anybody's toes. By the way i got to be honest with you. Everything I read to you, I've had problems with on every single one of these things. But you know what? I'm so glad our Heavenly Father doesn't give up on us and He brings us into sonship. If, if, if we will not harden our hearts. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your heart. The Bible says, Galatians 3, 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. What does that mean? Well, jump down to verse 29. When you, through faith, put on Christ, it means if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Here's the point. The Bible says we become sons through faith. Anytime God begins to reveal something to you, there needs to come a point or a place in your life when you hear that word, that that word begins to impart faith to you. Like Brother Vince said this morning, I don't have to try to work up faith in God. It's the Lord who gives me His faith. The Bible says that faith comes, how? By the hearing of the word. Why does the hearing of the word impart faith? Because the word of the Lord are God's promises to you about how valuable you are to Him. He comes to value you. Why do I? Why can't I embrace myself as a son this morning? How come I can choose to put on Christ? Because God's love and God's grace is far greater than my sin. It's far greater than the orphan spirit or the mentality or the spirit of fear that I have in my life. And what I want to share this morning and leave with you is that the Bible says that He has given you Beauty for ashes, giving you the oil of joy for mourning. He's given you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But what that involves is an exchange. I have to learn to say, Lord, I release this orphan mentality. I release. I release control of feeling sorry for myself. I release the. Of authority, the fear that the enemy has put into my mind, the structure of lies. You see, all of us this morning have a structure that guides the way we think. All of us this morning have a structure. We have a system that guides how you live your life. It guides how you respond to God, His promises, how it, how it guides you in relationships. If you're a person that says, I can't, That somewhere in the system, in the structure of your mind, the enemy has planted a lie. And you have to, first of all, identify that lie. You have to take ownership of that lie. And you have to renounce that lie. You have to replace the lie with the truth of God's word and let God be the winner. You know what, folks? I do not let lies live in my head. You can't allow that. Well, what are some lies? Well, here are some lies. You will never overcome. You will never amount to nothing. You can never love anybody again. Those are lies of the enemy. Another lie is you will never amount to anything. That's a lie. You will never reach God's best for your life. Another lie is that you have gone beyond the point of no return. God can't forgive you. That's a lie. Pastor Ray doesn't like you. That's a lie. Pastor Ray and John don't like you. That's a lie. How many of you know that the devil would love to put a wedge between us and you. I mean, do you know how the devil destroys the church? By dividing the church. By planting lies. You see, we are a church that welcomes intimacy. We want intimacy. But you know what comes with intimacy? Accountability and relationship, communication, faith. Well, also, there's responsibility how many of you believe you're going to have any healthy There's, there's some responsibility you see a son do you know one of the things that happens in son placing when the Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear but the spirit of adoption which in the Greek means son placing when a father brings a son it has nothing to do with bringing an orphan who is not part of the family Uh, adoption in the Greek during the Roman times when the Apostle Paul uses the spirit of adoption in Romans 8. Adoption had nothing to do with bringing a child in from the outside. Adoption in the Roman culture of that day had to do with a father literally taking one of his sons when that son had come of age and he would take that son down to the marketplace. In fact, I'm just going to use David, why don't you come up here? I'll take